welcome to another episode of Ho in the Know. I am, uh, oh God, I, I feel like I had one today. Had one? Uh, I don't know. I was going <laughs> to slap happy Selena. <laughs> I don't know. That one just came to my head right now. There were, there were um, sleepless Selena. I'm still sleepless. Sleepless in, in Seattle. Sleep, sleepless in Selena. <laughs> I mean, nocturnal. <laughs> penetration (laughs) 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 yeah um what are you Corey? i am uh a a deep black wormhole of a being yeah (laughs) Corey. yeah (laughs) yes just a little wormhole just a little yeah there's other dimensions inside of me (laughs) wow i love that yeah yeah. It's, uh you're just so deep i'm just uh, again <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what it is is it the fatigue is that where these innuendos are coming today? yeah definitely i don't, I don't know is it just because it's a sex work podcast i don't know i don't know <laughs> is this uh, pandemic fatigue yeah pandemic fatigue pandemic sure. fatigue trying to do too many jobs oh you know that was what i was gonna be i was gonna be six jobs selena that's it <laughs> That's the right one. <laughs> I got six jobs, you six guys. Six jobs. Oh, my God. And uh, we're here today with Isabella. Hey. Hello. Every episode, we begin with a segment called Historical Hose. Mary, Mary, why you bugging? Today's historical hoe is Mary Magdalene. Mary, Mary, I need your hugging. Mary, Mary. Well, um, I got most of my information from Wikipedia. While not much is known about her life, she is believed to be a real person by secular historians. She most likely is from Magdala, a fishing town on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Gospel of Luke first mentions her by saying, Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. The seven demons he references may mean that she experienced seven exorcisms to treat potential psychological or physical ailments, or it may be purely symbolic because in Jewish tradition, seven is the number of completion. Mary has been listed as one of Jesus's financial backers, meaning that she was probably wealthy. She's mentioned throughout the gospels and thus would have been vital to Jesus's ministry. All four recognized gospels agree that she was present for Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and his empty tomb after his supposed resurrection. In a series of Easter sermons, Pope Gregory merged Mary Magdalene with Mary of Bethany and an unarmed sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet, which resulted in a belief that Mary Magdalene was a repentant prostitute or a promiscuous woman. During the 16th century, she started to be portrayed in art as a sultry woman who may have been the wife of Jesus. While in recent times, these three women have been distinguished as individual people, the image of Mary Magdalene as a former prostitute has persisted. 
Because of this legend, legend, she became the patroness of wayward women and the Magdalene asylums and Magdalene asylums were built in the 18th century to save women from prostitution. In more modern times, people like Lady Gaga and Andrew Lloyd Webber have embraced the lore of Mary as a sex worker and given her her own voice in their depictions. And that is the woman, the myth, the legend of Mary Magdalene. Howdy, how are you today? I am feeling really good. It's sunny here and uh, people are starting to go outside more socially and without masks, which I have mixed feelings about, but it's still very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the whole new CDC guidelines that came down are just really confusing. <laughs> like, yeah, I just don't I don't trust Americans um, to not lie. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like now we can be in, if indoors with yeah without masks if you're fully vaccinated yeah but like who who's checking (laughs) and then who's gonna skip around this which is like everybody yeah yeah i mean i i in my personal friend group everyone is anticipating if not fully vaccinated already so that's comforting to me at least but i feel like in seattle where i live it's kind of a bubble and I don't know that this is true in the world at large, um, but I feel confident that my my circle of friends will all be honest at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely trust my circle of friends to do well, but I don't trust Americans. Yeah, and that's just because I grew up in Oklahoma, and people are fucking wild, <laughs> and it's a real cowboy country. And Oklahoma never created a mask mandate. There was never really a full fully you know enforced mask mandate um and it's just been scary because it's like my mom i have very complicated feelings about my mom but that aside she is very immunocompromised and she has multiple um immunity disorder issues and i'm just like well you need to stay inside all the time (laughs) mom yeah but she like wants, she's going back to church. She's a very devout Catholic oh. woman. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I say on my fucking prostitution podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, so she loves to go to mass. And and she was like, you know, they're they're they listed all of the precautions. There's no social distancing. They're doing, they're shaking hands for the sign of peace. No. Um, They're also all taking the Eucharist together and doing, sharing the, the blood of Christ. Oh, Um, so for those, that was disgusting before this happened. It was disgusting. (laughs) I don't want to share mouth juice with with churchgoers. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it's so nasty. And like, I just, I didn't think about it that much as a kid. Even as a kid, I guess I was like, oh, like this is kind of weird, but I want to drink wine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was my main goal. That was my motivation for getting baptized for sure. I was, I was like, like mm, yeah. wine and crusty <laughs> bread. And church is so long. You're just like, I'm so hungry. Yeah. I'm like, just anything to like get up out of my seat. Um, but now with COVID, I'm just like 50 
to hundreds of people drinking from the same cup <laughs> is very sus. Very, very much so. Um, Did you all hear about the right at the very beginning of COVID, the the church choir that met in Washington State? I believe it was in um I want to say Marysville, but it's north towards Bellingham. And they there were like 65 people who joined the choir and they were all six feet apart. But apparently somebody was um, sick with COVID and they like six people died. What? Almost the entire choir got sick just from singing. They weren't hugging. They all brought their own sheet music. Yes. And, yeah. That was, the, that was the thing that made me th- like the holidays. It was like, Please don't sing loudly together. <laughs> oh my God. Just the spread of, of mouth germs. Like. Yeah. And the thing is like Oklahomans are very like anti-vax. Mm, like, as, as a people. As a people. They are <laughs> deeply like gun-toting libertarians out there. Mm, got it. Yeah. Very much like a whole... A whole state of QAnon people. <laughs> this is my home. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. It just seems very messy. It seems very concerning. And yet my mom is fucking going out there for God. Jesus will take care. <laughs> Jesus will not. Jesus will let you die when it's your time. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Jesus is the ultimate take the wheel. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm not taking the wheel. You take the wheel. Yeah. Jesus is just like watching Carrie Underwood key your car. He's like, well, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, so. So, uh, Home in the Know is a podcast about sex work by sex workers for sex workers, in case you couldn't tell. Um, and uh, it's it's very important that we talk about anything that we want. And yeah. sometimes that's um, the, the ridiculousness of Americans and the ridiculousness of this period right now mm-hmm. that we're, we're gradually getting out of or crawling out of. <laughs> Uh, because of our incredible ability to have a lot of money and hoard vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, <laughs> proud of. Um, but we're here with Isabella. And um, so let's talk. Hi. Uh, yes, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk. <laughs> so um, you're a sex worker. I am. So you say. <laughs> <laughs> this has become the Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you get into the industry and how long ago did you begin? Oh, that's a, that, you know, uh, there, I just listened to another podcast by sex workers and they were talking about the age question. So once you ask how long I've been in it, it's definitely kind of revealing about that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, veterans are my favorites. Yeah, like <laughs> they're where we store all of our cultural knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, I'm a I'm a wealth of knowledge. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> About interesting things, not necessarily pertinent information. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so I got into the sex industry about 20 years ago, and yes. I started amazing. Right after, right? <laughs> I started right after I graduated from high school. And I even had a fake ID. Oh my gosh. Same. (laughs) 
I, I worked in my, I didn't work in my hometown cause I was, I became friends with uh, a woman who owned a local used clothing store. And just through talking with her and her husband found out that she was a stripper and she asked me if I'd ever considered doing it. And I said, no, but you know, it was interesting to me. And and then I said, I'd be interested in doing it, but I didn't want to do it in my hometown because I was sure I was going to run into someone I knew. Mm-hmm. So um, a few months later, she told me that her and a friend of hers were driving down to Texas to go work in the clubs down there and asked me if I wanted to go along. Ooh, what and, part of Texas? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Odessa, Texas. Oh, God. <laughs> the middle of the, the Dust Bowl. Oh, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and oil derricks for as far as the eye can see lots of tumbleweeds mm-hmm. and, um, it's the flattest place i've ever been Ooh, well come to oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> we'll one up you we'll one up odessa <laughs> uh it was uh it was it was fun i had a lot of fun i i it was it felt really daring and it felt really scary and exciting and i had never made that much money you know i've been working since i was 14 and making minimum wage and mm-hmm. all of a sudden i i had almost a thousand dollars which is yeah hilarious to think about now uh, but it was a lot of money at the time and i fell in love with it it was really it felt really powerful i enjoyed it and ended up going back several times and then uh, I started going back there on on the regular to start saving money for college. And then I ended up going moving to Washington State to go to college. And then I would go back there periodically to work. And one big thing was I went back for the oil show, mm. which is like a big industry event. Oh, my God. That sounds like so much money. Oil <laughs> show. Tell it's me also- more. It's also a lot of other strippers that come into town to work the same show. So it, was, it wasn't really that lucrative, all things considered. I mm. think I definitely made more money in previous weeks when I went down there. But Wait, what's an oil show? Uh, as far as I was told and as far as I understood, it's just a period of time where they have a bunch of industry people that come into town. And then the businesses, the local businesses take out the the visiting business people to kind of court them and they take them to, you know, restaurants, bars, and strip clubs. And so oh. strip clubs get pretty packed and it was definitely the busiest time of my experience down there. Wow. Okay. So you were starting 20 years ago. Um, so the earliest of two thousands, this was okay. So did you wear pleasers? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, God, I can't remember. I know I wore like big platform high heels. I don't know what brand they were. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I've, whenever I've talked to some other veterans, like there was like definitely this period before pleasers became like the standard strip club shoe. And I guess other people were wearing like either stilettos that were whatever brands or like your go-go shoes, but then pleasers kind of like made this big foray into the industry and took over i wish there was more diversity in shoe wear me too that would be hot like some pencil skirts and stuff i mean sorry the the pencil skirt shoe (laughs) 
I mean, there are a few brands, but like, I mean, you, I can't name some of the other ones off the top of my head. I have seen some people in like Dolls Kill shoes, though, mm-hmm. like yeah. and like certain rave brand shoes. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to take into consideration that I was coming from Colorado, which um, wasn't like it doesn't. I mean, Denver is a big city, but I didn't live in Denver, and my my smaller town didn't really have pleased our shoe stores and mm-hmm. the advent of the internet was just taking off right then. Also, I'm, you know, surprisingly enough, I'm kind of a Luddite when it comes to technology. I waited <laughs> until the very last minute to get a, a cell phone and just wasn't very proactive about getting onto the internet. So, uh, and I don't even know if you could buy shoes online yet at that point, 20 years ago, you have to think about how much that's changed everything. I mean, that's just, yeah, there's, there's so much like, you know, I I guess it's like, you have to do all of this, like manually, you have to like literally know where the strip club is or have a map. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And, and even then, even if there was, you know, I'm trying to think back, it was probably just dial up at that point. So it was pretty time consuming to get online Yeah, (laughs) and and not very, it's kind of clunky. Yeah. Purchasing a pair of shoes from a a shoe vendor. I don't think I even considered the possibility of what that was. I think I was just doing email at the time. Did the woman that you first met, did she show you sort of the robes and like how to? (laughs) Yes. I've never shaved my pubic hair before then. Yes. I considered the fact that I had pubic hair between my butt cheeks and oh, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, it's a revelation. Yeah. It is uncomfortable if you're not used to it. It was, mm-hmm. it was really, really uncomfortable. So she had you shaving. She didn't try to wax you? No, this was kind of a self-service sort of <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, no, she she just showed me what she did. And I, I don't think she was getting sugared or waxed at the time. Uh, since then, I've moved on to sugaring. And now I've gotten laser hair removal. So we don't I don't deal with that anymore. But oh. at the time, it was... That was so startling. And yeah, they told me what kind of shoes to get. I'm, I don't think I had pleasers. And uh, she lent me a few stripper dresses, which you, as you may know, is kind of a, it's like a specific style of garments, like really racy, lots of straps, but easy to remove still. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a great way to describe it. Like really racy, lots of straps <laughs> and yet easy to remove. <laughs> I just like think of my body stocking dresses. Mm-hmm. Those are those are my favorites. I don't know. Yeah. There's something hot about them, even though they are very trash. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's hotness in the trash. There's there's hot trash. Sexy garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you would intermittent intermittently go there. Um, did you have regulars? Uh yeah, a handful of them. Um, you know, what ended up happening mostly was that I made friends with like two or three different men and made friendships with them and they'd come and visit me when I was in town. Uh, one of them was a recent returnee from, uh, he was from the military and he seemed super traumatized and he was just such a sweetheart. And I think this was probably like my first foray into, the kind of work that I do now, which I think of more as like the, the sacred horror stuff. And he just was, he seemed like he really needed comfort. And I was going through a pretty hard time myself when I met him and I ended up, he ended up inviting me over to his house. And rather than like 
putting the moves on me or anything. We just hung out and had dinner and then we fell asleep holding each other. And it was, it just turned into this really sweet, like comforting friendship. So even though he met me in a pretty sexualized environment, it wasn't predatory. And it was, it was the first time I felt like I could give someone something that was, I don't know, bigger and more satisfying and more like healing than what I'd been led to believe I could do given all of the stereotypes about what strippers are like and what they offer. Yeah, definitely. I think that that is like a stereotype that like it is purely sexual and like it it is so far removed from any emotions or, but in actuality, I think it happens more often that there is some sort of like nurturing thing that happens in strip clubs or just across the sex worker industry that like we're nurturing people's yeah, I intimacy had a, needs. I had a customer yeah. come in like this past week who was like, "Why do you think men come in here?" And I'm like, "Well, there's like a lot of different reasons. It could be for comfort, companionship, it could be for sexuality, to feel virile, to feel masculine, to I don't know, for comfort, to cry. <laughs> there's yeah. there's so many different things that we provide. Um, but I like that term that you used. You said like a sacred whore. Yeah. Uh, when I started getting interested in sex work, I did a lot of academic reading about whores and horror sexuality and just the different like political ideologies that surrounded it. And uh, sacred horror was the name of a book I think I got. And it just talked about the different ways that people interacted in a, in a sex worker position with their clients and how that looked, what that looked like and how different it could be. And it was the first time I had a language that explained the depth that I felt called to, to achieve in myself and in my interactions. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that aligns more with my personal values about what I do now and what I've always done, really what I've been interested in from the start. How are you doing this research? Because like, and, uh, it was six years ago that I, I, I wrote a paper about, uh, black sex workers and I finding research about, or finding papers or books about sex work and sexuality was like difficult for me. (laughs) Um, how did you find those, those books, especially not being on the internet? Yeah, so especially like 2000s. Uh, There were, I mean, I actually don't know. I would find them at bookstores in the the like sexuality section. And once I moved to Seattle, there was the, this bookstore left, left bank books, which has like punk and alternative and Mm. just kind of off the beaten path books. I don't know if they survived the pandemic, but um, just, you know, we different kinds of bookstores places that don't carry your stereotypical romance novels i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> room for more unorthodox books i mean i love that there was i loved my leftist bookstore in baltimore shout out to red emma's <laughs> <laughs> um okay so you you had like this some concepts going in i mean you said you started like getting into sex work right after high school. And so you had this like personal experience and like vested, um, just vestedness, <laughs> um, working in the industry, but also like being in academia. 
Um, how did it feel balancing those two sides of yourself? And did you feel like you had to hide w your sex work self? I did to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, the first college I went to in Washington state was Evergreen State College, which is kind of a, a leftist college to begin with. So the environment there was more receptive to sex workers. But even, even so, I think just within the last like four or five years, sex work has become more acceptable, socially speaking, than it ever has before, um, at least in my lifetime. And I still got pushback, especially because I was part of the queer community there. And so this idea that I would be playing off of my perceived straight pr privilege and then making money off of it and profiting off of it and then still calling myself not even queer at the time, which is like bisexual or lesbian, uh, that was really frowned upon by my community there. And so I, you know, I kept it to myself for a while in that environment, but I've never been comfortable not talking about sex work. I think that it's important to lend a certain normal normalcy to it. And so when I make friends with people, I tend to tell people pretty quickly that that's something that I do. And it's not something I did straight through. Like after I went through that stint of stripping and getting myself through college, I started working as a waitress and like, you know, doing different kinds of jobs using my very hard-earned uh, art degree <laughs> my way in the world. Uh, and then it was, uh, and then I ended up, um, once I moved to Seattle, I, I got into escorting and, um, and that is an, an industry or that's a, like a vocation that is inherently like taboo and also not one that a lot of people talk about. And so, uh, I felt like it was so important to be open about that and to normalize it, at least within my friend community. And also it's very isolating. And I think a lot of sex workers can become pretty depressed because even if you're okay with it, even if you're fundamentally stable and your sex work is, is rewarding and it's satisfying and redeeming, it's hard to stand up against the like onslaught of stereotypes that get thrown your way every day, like the yeah. dead hooker jokes or mm -hmm. you know, just, uh, I don't know if this is accurate or if true, but the idea that the police have a not no human, I forget what it's like a stereo, a standard name of, a of a, like if a yeah. was harmed, it's like no human involved. Mm. There's, uh, I'm not, yeah. I can't remember what they call it, but there's just yeah, a, yeah, and I know what you're talking about. I, I'm trying to remember, but it, it's like, yeah, the essentially like there's, there's no casualty because you're, this person is considered to be subhuman. Right. So, you know, those are just a few examples of what sex workers get thrown every single day, even indirectly, because it's just, it's all over the media. It's in TV shows, it's in books. And if you're not super emotionally stable and you're not totally secure in yourself, which, you know, I think everyone kind of vacillates in and out of every day, regardless of how much self-work they do, it's easy to kind of get bogged down in that. And so if you're, if you're lying to your community, your, your friends who you would rely on for support and they don't know what you really do, 
then I, I think it's easy to like get depressed about it. So actually, you know, I'm sorry. I don't even know if I answered the first question. No, that's your question. I don't know. Like I'm happy for any tangent. (laughs) And I don't think that this is necessarily a tangent. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Gen Z, millennial, the war rages on ad finitum. Are Zoomers too soft? Are millennials too forgiving of JK Rowling? Does anybody think about skinny jeans anymore? It's time to pick a side because we've decided to bring the battle to the physical realm and actually fight with fists. It is a fists-only challenge. We will have metal detectors and we will penalize all bad actors who bring weapons of any sort or who make ordinary objects into weapons, i.e. water bottles. This will be a clean, fair fight decided by one Gen X and one Boomer. This weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the approximate center of the contiguous United States, we decide which generation reigns supreme. Alaska, Hawaii, and the Commonwealth will have to facilitate their own generational brawl. Be there to fight for generational supremacy this weekend and this weekend only. Results to be broadcasted on Twitch. What did um, escorting look like at that time for you? How did you find clients and how did you negotiate things like your rates and, and what what was okay? Uh, at the time, I started working for someone that I met at, I guess it goes like, I started, I was always interested in prostitution, even even though I wasn't convinced that I was going to do that. I was always curious about it. And because I was pretty outspoken to my friends that I had been a stripper, I had a friend at one of the restaurants that I worked at who was also working in the theater and the, and Annie Sprinkle came through town and she did oh God, her one show. Yeah. Amazing, amazing person. And she did her one woman show at a theater and she, and my friend asked me if I wanted to come and uh, work the show because it, there was a sex worker night on Wednesday that was just open to people and sex work. And there would be a Q and a afterwards in like a more intimate setting. And I, so I sold tickets to pay my way into the show and then I watched it and I had never actually, I'd never heard of her before that point. And I remember mm. I took a cab down to the theater and I told the cab driver what I was doing. And he was so, he was blown away. He was like, I love Annie Sprinkle. What? Oh my God, I can't believe you're going to go see her. She's amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just love that he just knew. What? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, she's a porn star and he's, you know. He's, he's, yeah. He's okay. Like, That's yeah. true. That's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think of, I, whenever I think of Annie Sprinkle, I think of her as a performance artist. And I guess that that's like how I was first introduced to her. Like I didn't, I mean, I'm not a man navigating the porn world. Yeah. Um, not that Annie does not have plenty of gay appeal. She certainly oh, yeah. does. She does. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I also, cause she's, I mean, it's like also just the video quality of the era of her making porn is very different. And she's a very like, flamboyant woman um but but it's just really interesting I love that he was just he just knew about her and he knew and like that that's so cool um (laughs) 
<laughs> it was really cool. Her show was about her life's work. So I, once I saw it, I understood why he was so enthusiastic about her because it, it, she talked about all how she got into the porn industry and all the different projects that she'd worked on and all the, you know, kind of the path that took her through her life. And then there was a, a Q and a afterwards. And these two women, uh, they, I, th- I can't remember if they asked some questions, but they, they said something about how they were part of this sex worker organized or, organizing group. And they comes to, I come to find out that they were trying to organize all the strippers in Seattle, which is amazing and mm. pretty ballsy. But they both were sex workers and they had asked Annie Sprinkle some question and told her who they were. And uh, they're like, we're part of the Black Stockings organization. And um, and so I immediately cornered them after the after the show was over while we were hanging out, just kind of ogling Annie Sprinkles <laughs> to me very awkwardly because I was so like, I don't know, fangirling over her. <laughs> <laughs> But I ended up talking to the two, these two women and, um, and it turned out that they were both prostitutes as well. And so you know, I was just like, I, I want to know more about who you are. Can I j- come to your meeting and like do work for you guys? And unfortunately, the meetings disbanded after like the next four or five. But afterwards, I ended up maintaining a friendship with this woman named Janadia. And she um, took me under her wing uh, not right after that, but like within a few years, I, I was like, can I, can I come work for you? Mm-hmm. And that's how I got into it. And she would post ads on Eros and she would m- handle our phones and, um, made sure that there were towels and toiletries and everything at the place that we worked out of. And she was amazing. Wow. So like a healthy madam relationship. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she, she was the one who posted our rates and that's how I got, that's how I chose my rates is I just essentially apprenticed under somebody who had already been doing it for years. And she, you know, she knew how to screen clients and she, she just made it super easy. And, uh, I worked for her for about six months and then I went to work at a massage parlor. She moved away and, and I went to work at a massage parlor after that. Which is also another interesting experience. No, I want to know about that next, but I I want to um, ask. So, what was the the brothel like? Like, did you? Well, I mean, I guess was it like an apartment? Was it just like a very like casual? It could be anywhere. It was an apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what was it like for you? I mean, had you done full service before? You know, I actually didn't start out doing full service. I just did um, FBST, full body sensual touch. Mm-hmm. And, um, I sat in with her, she asked a few clients if I could join and, you know, just have another girl there, which of course they jumped on for free because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just so I could get more comfortable with how to do it. And I think I only went to like three or four sessions with her and then I started taking clients by myself and, um, what were what was well, how did that feel for you i mean just okay so um i have like i i've moved into like prostitution over the course of the pandemic and i'd done like a little bit of it before but i got like much more into it being a regular thing but um how was it like in your body like making that switch and and moving into like this full contact thing from doing the full body essential massage you know, I, I don't think I really noticed it at the time, but 
uh, probably about a year and a half after I started working with her. I was, I had moved on after the massage parlor and gotten my own place and I was seeing clients and I was doing full service and, you know, screening my own clients and everything. And I, I just had this moment one afternoon after a session and I was just, you know how you just kind of zone out and start thinking, you know, you have your own random train of thought. And I was like, you know, I used to think that this would make me feel less than, you know, that's what I've been told all of my life by the media and everyone else that, you know, sex workers or prostitutes are, are less than human. And, and I was like, not only do I not feel less human, um, but I feel more powerful than I ever have before. Mm. And I feel more empowered to set my boundaries and to have expectations for how I will be treated. And that has not only stayed within my sex work, but it's, it's expanded into my social life. And it, and I was like, you know, I wonder what else I've been told that, <laughs> that is wrong that I just believed and that I haven't tested yet. And I, yeah, it was just, it was a big growth period for me. I think I'm still growing in that way, but it was at that time, it was like a huge transformation. It sounds really, I mean, I'm amazed by this sense of like, what I'm getting is like a sense of generosity with your body and like giving. Do you, do you feel like that's an apt way to describe it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think, I think it was, I, I feel like a lot of how I perceived sex work and perceive it now is, is based a lot on my luck and my privilege and my upbringing. You know, I've, I was raised by wonderful parents and given opportunities to pursue higher education. And, uh, and then I, when I started into sex work, I met really wonderful men and I was respectfully treated and I was given gifts and I was adored and I was doted on. And I think that that has, that has fundamentally shaped how I see sex work. I have to acknowledge that a lot of that is part of my privilege of like having lighter skin and, you know, having a good, you know, like a stable foundation from which to approach it from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I I apologize. I forget what your question was like, what, how does, no, no, I just, I'm just, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just really cool to hear you talk about this in like a very like positive and like, like even self nurturing way. Like it's like you have enough nurturing internally that you're able to like give and also not feel depleted. Yeah. Generosity. That was your question. I was treated generously and therefore I had a lot of things to be generous with. And that started long before I started into sex work. So, um, so you, so the madam that you were working with, and honestly, it sounds more just, I mean, I love the term madam, but also like a collaborative, like sex work mentor experience. Um, but your mentor of that time slash madam moved and then you went to work at massage parlors, right? I did. Yeah. And how was that? And what was the massage parlor like? Who who ran it? Like, was it an Asian massage parlor or was it just like a, I don't know, diverse and open massage parlor? Pretty, it was a pretty open and diverse massage parlor. 
it was uh, another house in a more commercial area in Seattle, and it had a number of bedrooms. I want to say there were like seven or eight rooms that had been put aside for um, that had like massage tables in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a living room and like a kitchen that had been converted into the the office kind of greeting area, and the the owners of the massage parlor would post on Eros. They'd post new pictures and they'd just like add new, new names to the roster. And they'd Mm -hmm. tell, they'd say like, this is who's available in these days. And then, um, the front desk person would take care of the calls and set appointments. And then I, you know, I'd just give them a set number of days and hours that I was available to work. And they took, I want to say like $50 off of the session per session mm-hmm. and never handled the money. Like they were really strict about that. And that money was always left in the room or was supposed to be left in the room. And we weren't ever supposed to talk about it. It was the, I think the temple is called the temple, um, got away with existing kind of blatantly for so long because they had a very, um, strong, sort of spiritual veil that they were promoting. <laughs> These are all our priestesses. This is what priestess is available to, to take you through a ceremony today. And you oh. know, this, is, this is the donation for that ceremony. And yes, I mean, it was, oh, wow. I, I love, love that coded language. Yeah, I love the language. I'm like, can we bring that back? Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's kind of hot. It's pretty hot. It's hot yeah. and it's apt. Like, yes, like, you all are goddesses or, you know, some sort of higher entity. And, you know, these are tithes and offerings yes. yeah. they're bringing to your table. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, a lot of the women there chose um, like Athena or Isis or like goddess names for their personas. So that's I was Isabella lovely. back then. That's when I chose Isabella, actually. Really? What, what made you choose Isabella? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm Latina, so I wanted some kind of Spanish name and I wanted it to be regal because I felt like that was, I had to have some kind of big name to compete with all these goddess names around me. Mm -hmm. So I went for the queen of Spain. Yeah. Queen Isabella. Yeah. Isabella. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Um, so did you, but did you ever feel like you were restricted with negotiations since you were not supposed to talk about you know a certain like were you able to talk like oh like you need to tithe a bit more for this ceremony <laughs> uh no not I didn't because I uh, at the time I was only doing um FBST I actually didn't branch out into full service until I went out on my own afterwards I think there was maybe one or two clients that um I might have had more of an intimate session with but for the most part, I just stuck with the, not the script, but like the expectation. Mm-hmm. Eventually though, um, you know, it was a huge group of people there every single day, like probably like eight or nine women working at one time and men coming out in and out all day long. I would on average see like four or five guys a day. Mm-hmm. And at some point I was like, this place is going to get busted. It's so busy. Like yeah, so much traffic here cars and people walking in and out and yeah um, eventually um 
they did get busted. Um, there was a sting and there were police officers who went into the massage parlor and got services. And that's how they were able to prove that they were doing this. And I just think that that is so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, just, it's so terrible and like incredibly, it's like invading an intimate space like that. Yeah. I mean, anyone who went in there could see that no one was being trafficked. Yeah. No person was working against their will. It was as, as like open and easy to get in and out of the space as possible. And, you know, the, I don't know. It's just, it, it was a huge abuse of power, I think, for officers to come in there and receive services and then turn around and, and try and arrest the owners. I've, I'm not quite sure how they managed to get out of it, but they ended up um, just shutting down that place and then they opened up another one. And I know there was a raid at some point and I'm not sure if any of the clients were arrested or any of the providers were arrested, but they were able to open up another massage parlor kind of blatantly. <laughs> I really like the two women who owned it, but the, I, yeah, I don't think. I mean, that's the, just so shitty. It's like, ugh, I hate that. It's like, who are you trying to protect? No like, one's getting hurt in this situation. It and like, truly is a victimless crime. And, and it's not a, it shouldn't be. Uh, and it shouldn't be a crime. Uh, <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> I, I recently went on a date with somebody who's from Australia and, um, the, uh, he was telling me about like how sex work works there. And I was like, what? <laughs> like everything's just like out in the open and like, like, yes, they're like legal stuff that you have to deal with, but like the freedoms in other places, it's like really frustrating to like think now to like where I'm at. And I'm like, there's danger everywhere for me <laughs> as a yeah. sex worker. Yeah. Um, how has sex work changed for you over the last 20 years? Um, uh, I mean, when I first started working, I was advertising online on a website that was kind of, you know, one of the first styles of websites that existed and taking appointments via voicemail. And now I abhor talking to people on the phone. <laughs> Uh, I don't even like getting texts from clients. It's, um, I only like handling it through email. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there was a local site here, the review board that was shut down by the FBI. Oh, God. And once that went away and all of the, the like, like back page went down and all these other review sites went down, it just made it a lot less, um, secure. Like there wasn't a a forum to talk about like this person has contacted me. Does anyone else know this person? Or, you know, just say, have someone say like, you know, you can go look at my reviews. I've been around for this many years and you could see that they had seen all these other providers. And then you could contact those providers and ask them how their experience was. And you could also see more personalized like chats because they would talk about football and they'd talk about um, holidays and jokes. And it was a real, it was very human. It was very like community oriented Mm -hmm. environment online. And I, you know, I've heard from other people that it wasn't as welcoming to them. Like, I don't think trans women were ever welcomed onto the site. And so this was, this was before, I think 
I was even aware of the the like discrimination that other sex workers and in different intersectional personalities or or like identities experienced. So I had a very like rose like um innocent perspective of what it was. I thought it was great. I didn't have any issue with it, but I realize now in retrospect that there must have been some other people who had less than ideal experiences dealing with the moderator and dealing with the negative reviews that sometimes happen. Mm. But for the most part, I think that taking the chat room down um, just harmed the community because suddenly there's like now there's no way to there's bad date lists and the sex workers in Seattle. We we have a, a really reference based review um, ability with each other. Like we'll ask each other, have you seen this person? Are they OK? But there's no way to like find out this person's identity very easily. Like if a new client I haven't met before reaches out to me, I, I just have to rely on other providers experience with them. Mm. Yeah. And that's really dependent on being a part of a community. Like if you are a new sex worker or if you just don't have community like that, there really is no way now to verify, you know, whether or not it's a safe person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, it's just terrible to lose, like, just the footprints that people have left. And for people who need to, like, have those footprints to, like, you know, who are dangerous, um, to lose all of that. I mean, I've seen some people, like, pass around, like, watch out for this guy. He's a fucking rapist and nobody's doing anything about it. Like, I've seen those sent around to various sex work community pages and stuff, but it's still like we're, there's still a lot of rebuilding that's happening and just certain things that are lost forever. Yeah. And the, the person who manages that bad date list is liable for, I, I think it's trafficking, like any facilitation or trafficking, you're criminally liable too. So even if you're trying to help other people, you could still end up getting burned pretty badly. It's just terrible that like the people who are working to actively protect us in the ways that we want to be protected can be liable and in the way that's alleging that they are harming us. Yeah. It's just such a warped thing to consider. Um, and that the, the institutions that are around supposedly to protect us are quite harmful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> Yeah. That like law enforcement is like one of the greatest threats to yeah. our freedom and safety. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm sure my super positive and amazing experience with sex work would be incredibly traumatized if I was arrested. Yeah, uh, yeah. that whole experience would not tarnish my my work experience, but it would be really damaging to me. And who, like, what, why would I be arrested? Like. Mm-hmm. What what am I doing to someone that would warrant that? Yeah, definitely. And yet it's simply just existing or yeah. or sharing your body in a way <laughs> that is the danger, whatever that danger is. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I could just be I could just be super slutty and doing all the same yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> doing the exact same not, thing. Not a criminal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hey man, that time when I was just slutty and not making money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> what a waste of time. Honestly, <laughs> like 
um, I want to pivot though. I want to start. I want to talk a little bit about Peep Me. Um, and yes, my wonderful listeners uh, uh, know that I'm involved with this project, and they've heard me talk about it a little before. But um, so I just want to just start with the beginnings. How did you get into Peep Me? Uh, well, I'm friends with the founders, and they were interested in bringing on other sex workers who had actually had sex work experience rather than just working in the um, in the back end of uh, sex work advertising sites and chat boards and stuff. And I definitely, you know, like as I mentioned before, I don't really like technology, so this is <laughs> the irony. It's a, it's a struggle for me. Uh, to work on a, a tech platform startup, but uh, I really believe in the mission statement of Peep Me, and I really think that all of the work that's gone in to really thinking out how to make this for sex workers is incredibly powerful and compelling, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much your listeners already know about Peep Go for it. Just go in. I mean, I've, I've, I vaguely talked yes. about it, but you know, uh, it's a platform for sex workers by sex workers who, um, and the intention is to, uh, to create a platform that will not pivot away from sex work content. Unlike every other platform, it seems like. Yeah. Shout uh, out only fans. Yeah. Even only fans. I have, a, there's an article that went around for a while about the, the new owner of, of only fans intentionally changing the TOS to make it safe for work content. And then they want mm-hmm. to uh, take on advertising because they can't, they can't do that when they have not safe for work content on there yeah. or at least the advertising that they want. Yeah, they can't also, get like Verizon to advertise. Or... But you could definitely get like Adam and Eve. And, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there are plenty of. Uh, it's frustrating. Like, what was the Madison? Uh, the website for Cheers, the Madison. I can't remember. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Advertising. <laughs> Ashley Madison. Ashley yeah. Madison. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I feel like a lot of times with that, the limit is just your imagination um, because there are definitely companies that are interested in partnering with like sex work media and also just OnlyFans is fucking huge. (laughs) I mean, if we have, I mean, not that I'm like for any of these non-sex worker celebrities who are on OnlyFans, but like you know, if you have fucking Tyga, you can like get a sponsorship. Yeah, you know? like I don't think it's that hard. Uh, it's like a, also all of these celebrities who are making stuff. Like I'm sure that they have brands and right. all. You right, know? they would be willing. Wouldn't they be? Yeah, anyway, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, dumb shit. But anyway, yeah. so but so, uh, yeah, it seems like all of the platforms are there. They ride on the backs of sex workers to infamy, and then they um, they kick them all off. Like we saw that with Tumblr and uh, Instagram and Patreon, Cash App and Venmo. Yes. And then they, they fuck with them. And I think Donia and the other people that work on the site, they, you know, it's, it's frustrating to like see that happen and know how wrong it is. And 
and just to, to like want to change that. And I feel really inspired to follow this and like be a part of this and to watch what it can do to the industry. And I hope that it's as transformative as they intend it to be. And I like the idea that it's transitioning to a co-op structure. So there will be profit sharing with all the creators and that eventually the creators will be able to govern the site itself. Um, I'm curious to see how that will happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of um, logistical hurdles to governance um, as far as like, how to be inclusive, but also be profit making. Um, I think an interesting thing that we are doing with Peep is that it it's like, I don't know, I'm so enmeshed in the nonprofit world and it's like a lot of fun to like get into a project that is definitely for profit. Like yeah. we're definitely <laughs> out here trying to like make this money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it's compelling. To, Definitely. To start to see ideally sex workers use and utilize their their like power to be, you know, uh, just to like take advantage of their like it's a super powerful thing to be a sex worker. You have, you know, like a brazen attitude, most likely you're outside of the box already. You're willing to kind of buck tradition and you're able to, to like maneuver in ways that you're not inhibited by like normal society. And so it's exciting to see this put into, um, play in a, in a platform situation Mm -hmm. and to see if we can utilize that like subversiveness to, to do something really good for the world, for sex workers everywhere. And Beautiful. to see if this has like a, a the ability to influence other forms of sex work because we're only dealing with online content, which you know is still legal in uh, this current iteration of our government. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, right now <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always that fear that like with administration changes, like the crackdowns happen. I mean, we even see that. Um, in Amsterdam right now, just with like the, the pushing of the red light district that was so central, um, to the outskirts, to other cities so that it it isn't like something that is primarily characterizing your, your visit, you know? Um, and I mean, you can have like a place that is considered to be pretty liberal about sex work. I mean, even featuring it in windows and, in the central area, but then a regime change or an administration change. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and suddenly you're pushed to the outskirts and suddenly the rules around sex work are very different. What do you feel like the biggest hurdles are with, with me getting off the ground? Uh, financing, like all kinds of financing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just like the, the TOS has written into a lot of business, um, businesses is, uh, prohibits them from working with adult content sites. So, um, keep me had a bank account and it was shut down because the bank didn't want to work with an adult site. And this was like, we haven't launched yet. So there is yeah. any inappropriate or adult content out there. It's just the intention to do that. And, mm-hmm. 
And even so, the bank account was shut down. And, uh, you know, payment processors tend to be prohibitively expensive if they're working with adult sites. And we're trying to keep the payout as big as possible to our creators. And if we, if it costs too much to process credit card payments, then we're going to have to cut into the profit that we're trying to give back to the creators. And um, anyway, so being an adult site limits the, the options that are available to us. And even, I don't know, even simple things like MailChimp. <laughs> Does MailChimp mm. allow adult sites and uh, yeah. <laughs> other, other, other APIs that we're looking at potentially using to do tax, tax things and um, organizing um, within the business itself, like just basic office software. Like, will they allow us to use it or are they going to revoke our, our rights to it because mm-hmm. we're an adult content site? And it's incredibly punitive for ostensibly something that is still legal. And yeah. I think the that's currently the biggest hurdle, but I feel like the the kind of this movement to criminalize tr- human trafficking and the sensationalization of um, human trafficking for sex purposes is a hard one to come up against because no one obviously wants human trafficking to happen. I mean, no, no good person wants human trafficking to happen. And so when you frame the anti-sex work crusade under the, you know, the clothing, the trapping of anti-trafficking, then it's really hard to get even sensible people to oppose punitive laws that are actually really harmful and damaging to different communities that are involved in sex work. And, you know, I think of myself as pretty liberal and I know a lot of people that I voted for are anti-sex work because it's not popular to oppose sex work because it's so easy to be cast as, well, are you pro human trafficking then? Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, like semantic quagmire. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's not a lot of factual things floating out there. There's just a lot of um news articles that I I don't know, Nick Kristoff and the uh, all of the anti um trafficking organizations that are out there that Polaris get a lot project of and funding. All that. So what what project? Polaris. Yes. I follow them on Twitter just to like stay abreast of. Yeah, know what the enemy's saying. <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy. terrifying. It it's is like really terrifying. It's like the way that like the statistics are written out is just so uh, distorted. Yeah. Like and inflated. They inflate them one. I mean, because yeah, there's just like a lot of reason, a lot of things that just get lumped in as sex trafficking. Example being your your very consensual, um, you know, hand job parlor, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's definitely not sex trafficking, but that statistic is somewhere in Polaris's numbers. And then the other thing is like what I noticed on their site is that they 
say that like 10,000 people have been trafficked, but then that number starts, like that number has been accumulating since like 2000 or 2007. And it's like, yeah, like over a decade. It doesn't, it doesn't take into consideration the fact that you either, like you get arrested. So you get arrested for prostitution and you either say, I've been forced to do this or you get a prostitution charge. Right. Yep. And what do you think you're going to, I mean, what do people think you would choose? Like I'm <laughs> yeah. spend time in jail and have this on your record or be a recovering, you know, like human trafficked person. Yeah, right. exactly. Like, and I mean, especially if like that's, if it's not just jail, jail time, but it's like custody over your kids, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and, and just influencing being able to rent an apartment or get a job. Like, right. I yeah. think currently it's a misdemeanor, but it's still there. So, and still yeah. With you, especially it's you. still incredibly harmful to have a misdemeanor. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you know, your, your record gets built up and you know, it all gets turned over and over. But anyway, um, we're coming up on our time. We're coming upon the end of our time together. <laughs> and um, there's just so much to talk about. It's been a lot of fun getting to getting to know you better. Is I, uh, <laughs> I want to ask you two more questions, too. Um, <laughs> maybe another interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll have to do another one. We'll yes. have to, I mean, I still want to have like a whole episode about like, legalization versus decrim and regulation and stuff because god that's a whole conversation truly yeah (laughs) definitely um but where can we find you on the internet or do you have anything you want to promote uh let's see i am i can be found at always isabella vip.com and isabella is spelled with an i-s-o-b-e-l-l-a and isabella q on twitter my Twitter account is mostly a stalking account. I just get on there. <laughs> same. Same. That's all I do. I made a Twitter to follow Amanda Bynes. So. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a mood though. <laughs> just to check up, you know. I was just like, what's she saying? <laughs> what's Amanda Bynes up to? <laughs> I, I get on there to, to look at different um, sex worker takes on politics. And mm. I also follow funny parenting twitter yes <laughs> perfect use of twitter yes exactly uh you can find me at the goddess Corey on instagram on twitter um i have a milkshake and surprise it brings all the boys to the yard there are links in it and you can click those links <laughs> I'm Selena the Stripper. You can find me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can follow me on Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl, where I've been posting some excerpts from a book that I'm writing right now. And so exciting. exciting. Yes, so exciting. Um, you can, uh, I was going to say you can follow my TikTok, but I have really been inactive on TikTok. Um, but if you want to f- check out my very, very super short historical host segments, um, it's at Selena the Strumpet. 
Um, and you can follow my org at soldiers underscore of underscore poll underscore for um, all the organizational stuff. If you're a stripper or a sex worker. Oh, oh, oh. Also, if you are a digital creator and you want to join our new wing, that is V Union, Virtual Union. We are doing all kinds of stuff for people who are making online content and we want people to help run it. I don't want to run it. I want you to run it um, <laughs> because you guys, uh, this is not my forte. It's not, I tried, you know, I do a lot of things. I can't do this thing. Also, you have six jobs. <laughs> I definitely have six jobs. <laughs> please. So somebody please help. <laughs> please support Selena. <laughs> so DM me at the Soldiers of Bold page, please. <laughs> I mean, Selena right. seven jobs has almost the same ring, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and to have a friggin' glorious week. Yes. Yes. That's Bye. it. Bye. Bye.